MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. And on this farm there was a chick, the prettiest chick I know. With a little curve here and a little curve there, this chick, she had curves everywhere. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. Hello there. This chick, she <laughs> you are listening to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for the movie Upstream Color. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here this week to discuss Upstream Color with uh, Christian Milanski. I think you might be using that wrong. And with the Upstream Color tagline, I'm looking forward to whatever this might be, Kelly Wand. It could be Starlings. <laughs> That's not... Well, I guess you can use dialogue from the movie uh-huh. tagline. That does work. Uh, when, I'm, when I have nothing better. All right, that'll do. Which is... <laughs> common wait were you doing a babe reference i was not that's more of a like dingus oh. field house because yeah. you were doing a line and i was doing a line because you're making fun of me right uh okay. i would like to though before we get into upstream color there is apparently a development on whether or not i've convinced you guys that that dwayne johnson is a better actor than harrison ford have you convinced anyone of that yes <laughs> i have who there are many harrison people ford? who back me on this <laughs> I think no, no. I, I believe that Dwayne Johnson's mom would be on board with this. I don't uh, believe that's true for a second. Like even his, even The Rock's mom would be like, "Well, he's he's done very well for himself, but you Sorry. know, he's his no Harrison legacy. Ford." Uh, Wait, no, so, so that's not the development, Kelly Wan, that you agree with me now. Uh, I forgot what the question was. I wonder if he spent a lot of years trying to tell his mom, "You have to call me The Rock, Mom," and then at a certain point he stopped and he said, "Now you have to call me Dwayne again, Mom." Who, Harrison Ford? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did I think, watch... Yes, Kelly Wand? Well, I was going to say, my, I, my reason for thinking you're dumb is kind yep. of solipsistic in that I don't think Raiders would hold up to me if he sucked in it. And I'm obviously referring to Dwayne Johnson. I'm not saying that Dwayne Johnson could do the roles Harrison Ford does. You but know, I, 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 was uh, here we go with the recon. Let's go. Let's go with retconning. Go with the recon or the retcon? Well, I can do both. I can do both. There. Let's My start with the recon is, and then go move on to the retcon. My point is simply that uh, Dwayne Johnson works harder. He is uh, less likely to phone in a performance. There are He has been in bad movies where you think, you know what, that movie sucked, but boy, The Rock was good. You never think that about Harrison Ford. Boy, that movie sucked. But, oh, Harrison Ford was good. Uh, and that, that Dwayne Johnson has more inherent charisma and talent as an actor than Harrison Ford. That's a personal Who's very taste. good. Also, it's a personal taste thing. And that's why I'm making his, the case and I'm, why I'm trying to convince you. Also, his body is harder. You know what? If we were to, to evaluate this in, in terms of biceps, be, Ford. there would be no dispute about it. And I'm sure that Dwayne Johnson is taller. And the and the yeah. amount of uh, baby oil or arm butter that's used. It's a coconut oil, I guess. Everybody knows that. I thought they were stones that caught fire. Uh, all right. Well, I, I see that I'm going to have to continue to work on on this topic with you guys. It's a uh, good if, headway. Thank you. Thank you. If you're listening and you agree with me, let me know. If you agree with these jokers, well, stick around and I'll uh, I'll, I'll continue to bring forward arguments. But this uh, week, Dingus, what did we see? Because I don't think that it featured Dwayne Johnson or Harrison Ford. Tell folks a little bit about what we saw without spoiling anything. All right, well, this week we watched Upstream Color, a 2013 documentary movie about the Tree of Life. It was written, produced, and directed by Shane Carruthers, 
Is it that? Is that his name? How do you say his name, Tom? Uh, it's not Carruthers. I think it's Shane Caruth or Caruth. I've never said it's Dwayne Johnson. It's Shane Caruth, and stars Amy Simons. Amy Simons. Amy Simons. Good Lord, Amy Simons. Wait, what's Dingus made? Also, Shane Caruth is in it. Uh, Andrew Centeneg and uh, Tiago Martins are in it too. But Amy Simons, damn. Oh, and yet, and yet, and yet, I am the only one in this podcast who has seen a movie called A Horrible Way to Die. Deeply disappointed in the both of you. I am too. I'm de- I'm deeply disappointed in the both of me as well. But Amy Simons, damn. All right. So, uh, by the way, Shane Carruth also does the music. Uh, Upstream Color is rated not rated because of worms throughout. <laughs> but Dingus, by the way, the the fact that you highlight that Shane Carruth did the music, I don't know if you know this. He also he wrote, he produced, he scored it, he shot it, he edited it, and he self distributed uh, Upstream Color. He did yeah, everything he, but watch it. It's, it's I don't think you've seen it yet. That, that he he's actually been too did busy the photography actually. and yeah. the music and the music. Well, oh, never mind. I'm, I don't want to tip my hand. So, All right, go ahead. Oh. Moving on. Hands All right, so uh, the, it, I did not know it was not rated, but that makes sense. I guess if you don't, it did have a theatrical run, but I guess it just it had a very small really? theatrical run. Uh, I think it ran in like six theaters. Well, here, here's where I come in. Uh, it, according to Box Office Mojo, it had a very limited theatrical release, so you can't really discuss in any meaningful sense its box office take. But the site Box Office Mojo says it's basically made a half a million dollars at this point. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating that it gets from reviews, it is at 80. On Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, it's at 88%. Now, Kelly Wan, this was actually requested by a few people. I would like from you a synopsis of the events that take place in Upstream Color. Maybe an Upstopsis? Upstropsis? Upstream collapsus. Upstream collapsus. That sounds like a very painful medical procedure, but I want one right now. What do you mean a few people? Uh, people who have seen the movie, I think, think, wow, I'd like to hear Kelly Juan do a synopsis of this. Top men. Yeah. Top. <laughs> See, picture Dwayne Johnson saying that. I, yeah, I am. When he said that, I was like, man, I'd like to hear The Rock do that line. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, oh. By the way, oh, never mind. Well, I'll tell you later. Uh, upstream collapses. I had to write. Oh, this oh Kelly Wand, hold on, hold on, Kelly Wand. I want you to drive it like you stole it. Ah, uh, because the thing. Is <laughs> your very good friend. After Fast and Furious, though, when you say that, it makes me feel empty inside. Upstream collapses. Two skateboard punks. Oh, is that Tom's cat or Diggis? <laughs> is this part of the synopsis? Yes. Upstream collapses, two skateboard punks score some sweet-ass maggots off a sad-faced gardener after... <laughs> I'm supposed to have a girl read this. Um, I thought that's what was happening. Yeah, it is. It's So, okay. After celebrating with some Tai Chi, they used them to jumpstart their careers in real estate and maggotry by ambushing a short-haired woman who's editing a horror movie about a giant dog made of bowtie pasta from the produce section. Really? You know, I didn't rewrite this. That's also part of it. Since it's raining, 
<laughs> their mark proves resistant to eating maggots. Since it's raining, as you can hear. That's a turtle. I'm in a chick's place. You're, you're in a terrarium right now? Yeah, I thought it would help the opposite. Because yeah. I care about the listener. Okay. Unlike me. But luckily, they brought an oxygen mask. Since it's raining, their mark proves resistant to eating maggots, but luckily they brought an oxygen mask. Since it's raining, their mark proves resistant to eating maggots, but luckily they brought an oxygen mask. I know what you're doing, Taiwan. You're like getting in touch with the cyclical nature of the, the storyline. I refuse right? to give up. Yeah, Frank, exactly. Frank Starlings. Oh, really, Diggis? You always turn on me. Although the maggots burrow into her arms and legs, they mostly affect her brain, but not too much for her to calculate her home equity and fill out the paperwork authorizing the skateboard punks to kidnap her house. They also turn her onto throw and chlorinated rock collecting. A pig farmer uses foley work to summon her maggots to his trailer park. <laughs> kind of like how the Fremen... On <laughs> the original version of all the, the my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> but sicker and dirtier. Wait, kind of like how the Fremen on Dune used... I really need to work in my cursive. Used thumpers to lure sandworms. Uh-huh. Dune was also about real estate. <laughs> the pig farmer has a side job. I kind of... Uh, the pig farmer has a side job rolling rocks around in a sewer pipe and selling the sounds they make skittering to movie studios that specialize in films about sewer pipes. But lately, business has been sluggish, so he hooks up the chick to some IV drips and gives her pig blood, and the maggots transplant it into the pig on the off chance that it also owns real estate. (laughs) The girl goes back to work and tells them some skateboard punks stole her house with maggots that a pig farmer confiscated, but embellishes her story by mentioning she had a fever of 106, so they fire her. Guys, <laughs> uh, still reading. She talks to a probate lawyer, but the guy says that due to a maggot clause in the fine print, the pigs now own her Camry. <laughs> By the way, I didn't look online to see what the movie meant before I wrote the opera. It's out of my own. So if you did, you're an idiot. This is what it means. Okay. Yeah. Shanker Brothers. This is what you meant to say. Fool. Stupid idiot Phil Baker. Listen to the real wisdom. She meets a dude on a bus and tries to sell him a bottle of Excedrin over some lots <laughs> but he's not interested until the next morning when he tells her he tried calling her all night to reiterate his disinterest. Who wrote this shit? But it turns out he also has maggots inside him, so they fall in love. The guy's all, by the way, I lied about a couple things. I'm actually an intern at Google, but she's all, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> will, you have, will you have a beer with him, Tom? Pissed me, Dingus. <laughs> Get up in there. See, because they're a different generation, they know. 
get jokes. Uh, trust me, after the week I've had, you're trading up. She begins to feel pregnant, but she's not. It's just because the pig has her maggot in its uterus while the pig begins feeling an explicable attraction to Google interns. <laughs> <sighs> Almost done. Their relationship flourishes in that whenever he says shit like, I think you should trim down, he follows it up with, I meant the pig. <laughs> And when her eyes glaze over, whenever he says anything, she's all, oh, that was the pig zoning out. Okay, pretend I'm a girl right now. More than usual. His pet name for her is the same as mine is for Kelly Wand, Honey Baked. Disaster strikes when the guy takes too long to push a box of paper into an atrium. <laughs> Uh, I should just write them all in long head and not be able to read it. Uh, okay. I thought you already did that. And the pigs don't eat an entire fence before inspection day. Wait, I'm lost. Let's start all over, listeners, and pretend it's good. Disaster strikes when the guy takes too long to push a box of paper into an atrium and the pigs don't eat an entire fence before inspection day. See, because they had to eat the whole fence. Fuck you, people. <laughs> Farmer slash sound designer follows a vet's advice and puts the problem porkers in a burlap sack and tosses it into a crick. Oh, that's fucking dumb. The maggots turn into blue dye and seep from the drowned pig corpses into some orchids, which are then reaped by different skateboard punks which they peddle, get it, on the blue market in exchange for special thanks credits. The chick summons the farmer to a parking structure by just waiting there at a table for him to show up. <laughs> His expressions all, look, I didn't steal your house, I just did a little creative medicine like Fassbender and Prometheus. Plus, we're both in the filmmaking biz. We should go out sometime. But her expression's all, nope. And she shoots him in the face. She has the pig shake down some escrow reps. <laughs> oh, God, I hate myself. And finds the farmer's apartment. And inside finds a mailing list of subscribers he owes copies of Walden to. <laughs> You gotta do have to see the movie. Alright. Takes her revenge by mailing these out, then collecting more swimming pool rocks while boyfriend reads Thoreau to her whenever she surfaces for air. Oh. Then they get some extras and knock down the Berlin fence so the pigs can run amok. <laughs> and she nuzzles one of them while her boyfriend looks on enviously. The end. Wow. Doing. Congratulations, Kelly. That was oh, very well done. I didn't live up to... I, that was I, an important one. No, that, you did a heck of a job, Brownie. I'm going to tell you. That was great. Listen to that, Tom. Are you going to let him abuse me like that? Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, it's that's exactly what I was hoping for. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to correct you, though. It was not a bus. It was a train. Yeah. And they were not skateboard punks. It was just one dude who, who's identified in the credits as, I think, the thief. Or Wait, there was the black kid and the white kid, I thought. And they do that handshake. 
And the black kid is on a bike. Right. And the gardener's not in on it. You know what? I feel dumb. I feel lame. Not dumb. Well, I feel dumb. Well, but I feel here. lame for looking up what it meant before... I oh, where did you go to look it up? Yeah, what did you find Come out, on. Kelly Wand? Because I don't know what it means. I have no freaking clue. Come oh, on. Please. You guys are smart. You guys could get it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I've, I've talked before about the difference between ambiguity and subtlety. Like, for instance, I feel that there's no ambiguity in, uh, and we've disagreed about this, in Take Shelter. I think that the ending is subtle, not ambiguous. Blade Runner is another example. I think it's subtle. It's not ambiguous. Uh, then there are movies. So we do not disagree about that, about the end of Take Shelter. Oh, good. Okay. But then there are I movies. I don't though, think it's, it's ambiguous. We just disagree about what it means. But then there are movies like Meek's Cutoff, where there's there's intentional ambiguity. Limbo. Uh, um, and, and I think this is a movie where there's definitely intentional ambiguity. Uh, Memento, by the way, is another example. I think Memento spins an airtight story. There's no ambiguity about what happens to whom right. and who is doing what to. I think you can piece together everything based on the, what Christopher Nolan tells you in the course of the movie. Uh, I don't think Upstream Color, you can say that about it. I think there's a lot of ambiguity here. There's a lot of information not a lot, but there's there are important bits of information we don't have, and it calls for some interpretation. I definitely feel, uh, and and even in interviews, I think Shane Carruth has been fairly um, cagey, not, not coy, cagey. I would say, yeah, but or just sort of insistent about you know you decide what it means. I'm not going to necessarily answer questions about this means that and this is what it's about. Um, so I would like well, to hear from I, you guys because I don't. I think heard him. Uh-huh. Say thing. I heard him give answers to things, and I was like, "What?" Like he was saying, "Oh yeah, she shoots the wrong guy because she thinks he's the thief." But well, do actually- you think that's pretty clear? I mean, I think there's a, it, ultimately there's something tragic about what happens. The outcome is good, but it's through a mistake. I mean, the- but she's not wrong to shoot that guy. A, he killed a bunch of pigs. Fuck him. And two, uh, <laughs> he wired her up to the thing. Like he exploited her too, and he's worth a bullet. But in Shane Carruthers' estimation, she it's like a trad. Like oh, he gets unjustly shot. Yeah, I definitely think that that's that's something that I don't think is ambiguous. Uh, (laughs) I do think that's an important part of the movie. The movie is about the relationship amongst uh, basically five uh, organisms, for for lack of a better word, four organisms, several organisms unique, uh, united by the the worm, by the the central organism. Um, And I think that that, you know, that the sampler, as he's called in the credits, uh, I just thought of him as a pig farmer. Uh, I think that he is definitely uh, a fascinating character who who should not have died um, because he did not wrong anyone. Well, the pigs. (laughs) I just thought of him as God. I I, I didn't even think about that whole thing about whether or not she's shooting the right person or not. Because, I mean, I have no idea what this, this movie means, and that's what's so wonderfully frustrating about it. Yeah, I, I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, I agree with you. Like well, I was getting, getting, I wanted to know. Like I wasn't like, fuck this. I, I'm getting my chain jerked. Like I did want to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did it make you guys feel though, watching it before we try to parse it? Because uh, I, I always feel uh, the Coen Brothers apocryphally said. I don't, I've never actually found this quote. But when asked about Barton Fink, they have uh, they have supposedly said, well, we're not going to. Exp- you know what it means doesn't matter. It's how you feel that that matters. Uh, how did you guys feel about this movie? Because I wanted both of you to see it. Uh, I saw it when it had a short theatrical release. I've, I've seen it maybe twice since then. Um, Dingus, why don't you start off? Uh, what, what, what did you think of this thing without necessarily interpreting what it means? 
Uh, I find it extremely upsetting. It, it, uh, uh, I've only seen it once. Uh, part of what upsets me is that I wish I'd seen it uh, a couple more times before doing this podcast. Um, I feel like it's the kind of movie that I watch and I'm not understanding, but I'm understanding that it works for me and that it's moving me incredibly in ways that I don't understand mm-hmm. uh, because of the many things that work about it. The editing is phenomenal and the music yeah. is just freaking beautiful. From the first moment of that music, I feel like I'm watching somebody who's doing a Terrence Malick film, but in in a different way. I don't know how to describe it. I, I honestly don't know how to describe this movie. And, Kelly I, and, Wand- I, and I only just finished watching it a, a, like an hour ago. And I'm really... But watching... The, the process of watching it... Uh, forgive me. Uh, while I was watching it, I was getting increasingly more and more upset. And part of that is just my personal emotional state and where I am as a person right now. And part of it is that frustration of, God, I wish I'd seen this more times because there is so much going on here that I know I'm not going to get. And yet I don't have that frustration that I get from a lot of movies like this where I feel like it's just a filmmaker being self-indulgent and not letting me know what's going on. I feel like there's so much going on that maybe the filmmaker doesn't even understand. I, I really... I'm crazy about it without yet knowing what it means. One of the things that I really appreciate about uh, – have you guys both seen Primer by any chance? Yeah. Uh, I wish. Kelly Wan, you haven't seen Primer. Interesting. No, but now I want to. I, you know what? I don't, I don't think you necessarily need to because uh, Primer is interesting and there's a, certain, uh, there's a certain craft to it that I can respect. Is but that there's none. No, absolutely not. And that's, oh, that's gosh, a huge so – that's a huge part of the difference is that Primer has none of the emotional resonance that this movie has because it's missing the performance of a- Amy Simons. How is it, Dingus? It's, it's Amy Simons, yeah. Amy Simons. Uh, Primer's much colder and concept-oriented. Um, I like that. But one of the things that I really like about this movie is considering that, that Shane Carruth wrote, directed, is acting in it, uh, I, I don't get a sense, I don't get a, a single whiff of vanity from the guy. No. Uh, so much of what I feel he does in Upstream Color that is so incredibly beautiful about the movie is he makes this space for Amy Simons to, to carry it. I mean, she's so amazing in this, and he's in it. And I remember when I first started watching it, I was thinking, oh, he's going to play the boyfriend himself. I, you know, he could have gotten somebody who's really good at acting because he's not that great. I mean, he's fine in Primer, but I just remembered thinking, eh, you know, he's. He's, a, he's an interesting director. He's not. He's no real actor. But he was really good opposite her, and they were so good yeah. together. And, and part of it was, it's not a movie about him, and it's not. It, it there, like I said, there's not a whiff of vanity in this. Um, they had a so, weird similarity, even though they weren't similar visually. But uh, I thought maybe that was because of the the parasite, and maybe that's I don't know. Go back to what you were saying. Forget well, no, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I, I think one of the things that's not ambiguous is that he, of course, was the victim of the same thing that she was. Uh, and I feel that's subtle. He never says it. When he describes it to her, he is confessing that he was convicted of embezzling, of stealing money. There was, a, there was an addiction to a substance. Uh, it destroyed his marriage because he found himself across town and absent for several days. I think clearly one of the things about his character, Jeff, is that he has been the victim of another thief, you know, someone doing right. the same thing, uh, and he went through the same process of recovery. Uh, uh, right. and, and so they're both victims of this process through di- through different people, I, I think. But do they um, find each other coincidentally, or does the parasite... Because the pig farmer... <laughs> people haven't seen this movie, are so losing 
Well, people who haven't seen it should not be listening. Yeah, <laughs> go watch it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait for Man of Steel. You probably don't need to see it to figure out a thing. But I mean, he, the pig farmer, gets her by using his foley magic. That's one of the questions I have: is how yeah. does I'm, I'm pretty clear on the overall. Uh, did you look up stuff? Of did you no, cheat? I, I, I cheated. Did not. I did not. I, uh, I I read the Wikipedia page. I, I don't even think I read it. I like looked up. Some oh, I stuff totally cheated. But no, I, I've not. Uh, I did see a quote from him where he basically was refusing to answer questions about what it means. But no, I, I, I'm comfortable with my own interpretations. But one of the things I'm not sure about, but I have a theory about, is how she finds him. Yeah. Uh, when he's not party to the actual thievery, and I think what it is is he. Uh, this idea is like by using these sound waves and by having all of the the infected pigs around him, he is a sort of a an antenna, basically, so that when people get infected, they know to find him the same way that he can reach out to them and to their experiences just by being near the pigs that are infected by their particular parasites. But how and does part- Jeff find her? Oh, that's a coincidence, I feel, oh. that they're on the same train <laughs> and that they, they connect over this. And and one of the things that uh, I think is part of a conversation that I was in, in the on the forums at quarter to three is – do the pigs meet first and therefore trigger their relationship, or is it the other way around? And I feel pretty strongly that the movie intends us to think that it's the other way around, that they just coincidentally meet on the train, because we see them meeting first, and that's the first scene we're shown in the movie. It's only after that scene that we see the pigs taking up with each other. So I don't think that that their relationship is driven by the pigs. I think that they influence the pigs to, to you know actually get together and have baby pigs. Um, but that that's one of the accidents in the movie, is that two victims of this weird, rare process of identity theft, uh, and even rape, I want to talk about that too, that two victims of this process happened to meet each other and create a relationship. And that relationship destroys the process. Is it possible uh, that's going on simultaneously? Uh, I mean, that, that's the theory I have when I'm watching The Fountain, and I haven't seen this movie enough times Obviously, to 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 hatch this plan, um, but is it because the the movie plays around with not with timelines so much as yes, it does, time, though, but it does. Yeah, but but what I'm talking about right now is time sinking, uh-huh. and so the way the movie is edited and the way the audio is edited, and the audio for this movie is fantastic. Um, the way the the this movie is edited, it messes with time sinking so that. I'm comfortable with thinking that those two things can be going on at the same time. An important clue, uh, one important clue is what Shane Kara's first movie was, Primer. And Primer is all about time travel. It's all about creating a cycle uh, and uh, what what happens with that. It's sort of a different exploration of the traditional time travel trope and, and the cyclical nature of it and, and how influence uh, events in the past can change the future and so forth. So I think if you look at that as part of a topic that interests Shane Carruth, you can figure, okay, that could find its way into Upstream Color. Another important clue is Upstream Color opens with a shot of those paper chains. Yeah. And furthermore, when the thief, presumably finishing up another case, is throwing those away, there is a very brief but very intentional shot on a recycling sign. Right, uh, and uh, that is not an accident because it's a shot just of the sign. But but what seals it for me is that there's this whole idea, and the, the topic touches on this, that 
that this influence is not unidirectional, that it goes both ways over space and, I believe, time. And where we start to see this is in the nonlinearity of a lot of the characters, a lot of what we are shown in terms of the conversations between characters and not just uh, Jeff and uh, Ted Gummett. What's her name in the movie? I can't believe I can't remember this. Uh, Amy. <laughs> yeah, it's Amy. Uh, but it's it's especially in that scene with uh, the bearded guy right. and the redheaded girl. God, I, I mean, it's like when oh, it's Chris. Chris is the name of the Chris. Guy. Right, right, right. Thank you. But here's the deal, though. Uh, so if we if we grant that over space it can go backwards and forwards, that it's not unidirectional, I think it's really important to look at the last shot of the movie. Because what mm. we see in the last shot of the movie is a younger thief looking for worms and unable to find them. He looks different. Now, you could say, okay, he just cut his hair. But I think the point of the movie is he's younger. It's, his, it's earlier in his sort of career looking for these worms. But, but more importantly, the final shot of... of uh, of Amy Siemens's character, Chris, she, her, she has a different haircut. Uh, and that's not necessarily a, an indicator of something, but I think they're trying to make her look younger. Uh, and I think, mm-hmm. but, but what seals the deal for me, and I only just noticed it because I meant to check it out, she's not wearing a wedding ring. The final shot uh-huh. is a scene of her as a young girl raising this pig that she is connected to and basically resetting the cycle. There's no worm. There's no infection. She is not going to be violated. Uh, she and this organism that she, she comes to, to to care for, and she unites everybody. You know, everybody's united with their little codependent creature. Uh, it resets this cycle, and now she, as a young girl, is raising this little piglet. Um, and, and I think that's an important shot. And I think the fact that you see the wedding ring on her, they get married. So unless you want to assume that in addition to changing her haircut – uh, she divorced Jeff. Right. I, I think Very clearly, specific. clearly the intention of the last shot is that things have been reset and it's different now. And these people are caring for these animals. And by doing that, by being connected to the things that they have empathy with, they're breaking this cycle of, of pain and confusion. And I think ultimately that what the movie is about, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but I, I, I just, I'll just throw this out now. I think ultimately what the movie is about is about how we can lose our identity to sympathy, how sympathy can be a dangerous thing. You know, extreme empathy can destroy our personal identity, but ultimately it's also our salvation. When we're separated from the things and the people with whom we share that empathy, it, it can destroy us. Um, and the movie is sort of about, you know, you can also redeem yourself through, through this empathy. Um, and I think it's possible, too, you could even argue, and I'm not sure how far I could push this, but you could argue that the movie is told from the point of view of the worm. You know, this is sure. the worm's various experiences uh, as this life cycle. Um, I, think that, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. But you think she's younger at the end. I, I think clearly they do stuff with the makeup and her haircut to make her look younger. But the fact that she doesn't have a wedding ring on and she gratuitously lifts up the little baby pig. Because uh, keep in mind, she, you know, she when she finds her own pig and there's a shot of her with the pig, it's full grown. And then we get a shot of her looking younger, lifting up into the frame a little baby pig. But is that the same know, pig coloring as that same? Is the big- uh, well, I, it's the same. I mean, she's not wearing a ring. I mean, she's lifting right. her her left hand, her hand into the frame. You can actually see both of her hands, and there's no wedding ring on. Uh, so, and and just also, I think it, it just ties into the whole point of the movie about this this empathy flowing both ways. Um, hmm. So, I do want to talk about uh, 
so Kelly Wan, do you feel that the sampler was because here's the thing, Dingus, you mentioned that kind of he was like God. Um, Kelly Wan, you, you sort of thought that he deserved to be shot or that he was at least um, guilty of some transgression against He you. killed he threw pigs in a burlap sack. Do you, why no one speaks for the pigs because uh, he was trying to start the orchid. So that's the thing too is the thing I was trying to puzzle out, and I don't, I didn't get this from my cheating either. Is uh-huh. like how everyone knew this cycle or how much they knew about it. Oh, they didn't. I don't think they did. So my reading on the pig farmer, uh, actually, Dingus, the brainwashers you? did, didn't they? With the Walden, the brainwashers, the thief would have had to have known it. Known what the life cycle? Like with, that the ma- well, at least that the maggot offers that opportunity to uh, brainwash someone. I think he just knows to sort of go through nurseries and buy plants and look for these until warmers. a maggot lets him brainwash someone into giving away their house. Well, you see him meticulously going through and testing them and sort of right. sorting the ones that are likely candidates and determining. But how did he know? Like, did and he the, make and the, those? And the, kid, the kids even say hey, that's why it takes so long to find one that works. I mean, right. this, is, uh, okay. this is such a process. Um, I mean, much like finding out. I don't know. Okay. All right. Just what you're saying, Tyler, I was gibbering. But well, well, Dingus, what it, so, so do you, what's your take on this pig farmer? Uh, like, did you have, did you get much of the sense of, you, you sort of said that he was like, God and and I love that take on it because I'm you know there's this biblical concept where Jesus at one point uh, drives people's demons into pigs and then drives the pigs over a cliff and murders them and therefore therefore like gets that either that was bullshit too I don't think take Jesus would mean the pigs yeah uh, well, it's, you can't just get rid of it it's kill the kid and never mind <laughs> pigs uh, but Dingus did you get a sense for him being either a bad guy or when you when you said he was kind of like God. Uh, uh, talk a little bit about that. Like, how what what was your re- your read on that character? Uh, I think of him, and again, I just watched. I, I think of him as God, as this this not good or evil force, but as this curious and all powerful force. And there's there's so many looks that that this actor gives, and I I really really love the way he works. His name his name is Andrew Sensenek. I I don't know what else he's been in, but. He's great. He's really great. And he does this weird sort of thing where he's just curious but seemingly driving everything, in, 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 which is sort of a theory about God. And that's kind of the, the feeling I got when we watch Beasts of the Southern Wild as sort of a different thing about God than I got when we watched Tree of Life, which, which I got as, as God as father. And Beasts of the Southern Wild, I got as God as a kid or a child or a curious person. And, and that's the feeling I got here. Again, just this feeling of, of this all-powerful being that's curious about what their power is doing. And, and a lot of that is locked up in this weird and wonderful look that Chris gives to the pig farmer at, in the end. Uh, and the way he looks down sort of guiltily like oh this is what i this is what i have wrought all right well maybe i need to start over and try something else then mm-hmm. um so so that that's the idea I, I have no idea if that interpretation bears out i really don't but but the sense i got of him moving through the story was of this powerful being who is creating and kind of just seeing what will happen when he creates when you say creating uh, do you feel like he was somehow behind the worms or uh, can can you talk a bit about that? Um, I I don't know that. I mean, there, there's there is that that sense of when he's driving them out of the earth and she shows up. Um, 
I don't know that that all this is a plan. Although he he drives this this weird. That's what's wonderful about the the way this movie is directed. There's every little shot is so deliberate. Right. And when right. you bring up yeah. the the wedding ring, I immediately see her putting that little box on the table, and you see the wedding ring on her finger. He he shows us every little thing he need, we need right. to see. And so that truck shows up into the field, and I'm like, what is this truck? Is it a panel truck that's gonna? Oh, those are speakers. Or wait, those are IVs hanging there. So. Everything is planned for, um, but it's it is sort of like that sense of of God, you know, setting creation in motion and then driving things out to find out how are these things going to interact. The the uh, sense that I got, he reminded me of a different kind of religious figure, uh, and what he reminded me of were the angels in uh, Vim Vendor's Wings of Desire. Uh, where he is, there is certain, something certainly divine about him, and he's exercising this almost divine power, but I get the sense that he's more an observer, and he wants to look at people's experiences and feel what they feel, and he's uh-huh. wanting to create music. Uh, and he goes, you get the sense that he goes out amongst the pigs, and these organisms are so powerful. You know, if you just pour Coke over one of them and you drink the Coke, you will share that link with someone. And if you in, put the, the worm inside of your body and leave it there for a few days, it's devastatingly powerful. But they're powerful enough that even by him just moving amongst these, these pigs who are now hosts to the worms, he can sort of feed off of other people's experiences. And he's a frustrated creator. You see him making noises. You see him trying to write sheet music and getting frustrated and throwing it all off the bridge, which mirrors what he eventually does to the pigs, and which also mirrors, I think, Jeff's frustration with the papers in the atrium. But I get the sense that this pig farmer is wanting to create, and he's hoping that by feeling, by vicariously sharing these other people's feelings through these organisms, he can create. And I think that's what's going on with some of these awesome shots of him sitting in a full chair in the middle of a mud with a keyboard in his lap and, and those pigs wallowing around him. You know, oh, he's wanting to feel. But I think also, so the sense that I got, Dingus, is that those speakers are more generally appealing to worms and the people <laughs> who are infected by these powerful empathy worms will then come to him. And he can withdraw the worms from them and then put them in the pigs and use the pigs to feed off of those feelings, that vicarious experience. And I feel that he protects them. And that Kelly Wan, you talk about him being evil. I mean, throwing the piglets in the water is definitely like, as moviegoers, we don't like seeing little baby cute animals murdered, and it's terrible. But my sense of that is that he's doing it because the farmer, the vet was telling him that the pigs will, will hurt themselves, that the pigs will get fierce and hurt themselves over this being protective around piglets. And he, he gets rid of the piglets out of a sense of wanting to protect the people whose experiences, whose senses he is mining for, for his own sense of feeling, for his own creation. That it's more out of a sense of protection for the people than any sort of malice for the pigs. There's more humane ways to kill pigs, like C4. <laughs> That's true. But then the then movie wouldn't have worked. Then, then oh, yeah. this, cre- this creation thrown to the wind, you know, these seeds scattered. But he's also the making river. the orchids too, so he's creating. 
He's setting the next stage. Up. And it's inadvertent. Well, not setting up yeah. what, what oh, sets the stage. What breaks the cycle is Jeff and uh, and um, Chris. Chris, thank you. Gosh, uh, Jeff and Chris meeting on the train because that causes the pig. That causes the pigs to have piglets. That causes him to throw away the piglets out of concern for the 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 hosts connected people. You know the other the people that are connected to the pigs. That causes the blossoms to change. And because of this bi-directional nature through time and space, it causes the thief to never find the worms to perpetrate the the rape the the, the thievery. Um, mm. So I, I'm curious about why you keep using the word rape. Okay, so we've seen, uh, you, you know, there are plenty of movies, not plenty, but there are certainly movies that 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 are concerned with rape and that, that capture the the violence of a rape easily. You know, you see a rape in a movie and it's uncomfortable and it's gross and you clearly get the sense it's not a sexual act, it's, it's an act of violence. And, and any viewer, male or female, can respond to that, can respond to that violence and the uncomfort and, and just it, it's awful to see in a movie. Um, but I think what movies have a harder time portraying, you know, nobody wants to be beaten or mugged or raped or whatever, all that seems terrible. But I think what movies have a harder time portraying and what I got a real strong sense of in Upstream Color is how uniquely violating that experience must be for a woman. Now, now, upstream color is not about a rape. You know, this is not a sexual thing that thief does to her. But I feel that the, the understanding and, and and Amy Siemens's performance. I mean, she is so expressive in her frailty, in her vulnerability, uh, in her confusion. Uh, you, you know, as a viewer, there's just you have so much empathy with, with her. Um, but I feel where you get this sense of how uniquely violating a rape must feel to a woman is watching this scene unfold and there's this weird intimacy to it where the way he dresses her the way she goes to the bathroom in front of him uh how he's controlling her hunger and fatigue how she, she has no privacy uh it's it's weirdly intimate in an uncomfortable way you know the way he's talking to her and she's accepting and doing everything he says uh and furthermore there is a biological intrusion. You know, there's an element mm-hmm. of him inserting something into her body that, once she's aware of it, that she doesn't want there, that scares her. Um, and, 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 and she's similar. ashamed of it, too. Well, and that's the thing. It's similar to a rape. The actual act is only the beginning of the violation. The aftermath of, of a rape and of what we see in Upstream Color is arguably as dire as the event itself. For a couple of reasons, one of which is it, it pollutes something that should be a positive part of the human condition. You know, in the case of an actual rape, the act of sex is polluted and uh, it's, it's affected. You know, I can't imagine that a woman doesn't feel differently about sex after that. And in this movie, the human capacity for empathy is affected. You know, empathy should be something positive. It should reinforce a relationship. It should make you a part of, of human condition. And in this movie... These characters now have, because of this violation, these characters have empathy for phantoms that they don't understand. The the act of empathy starts to destroy them. Uh, And and then furthermore, even in this movie, uh, it compromises a unique aspect of her sexuality, which is her ability as a woman to have children. Uh, And even, you know, when when she goes to the doctor, there's a line where he observes, quote, uh, someone was in here. (laughs) Right. So I I can't help but think, I mean, it's a violating experience, but I couldn't help watching it, especially the second and third time I saw it, that it's this sort of unique capturing of of the dynamics of rape, even though it's not it's not it doesn't have the elements of, of, of rape.
Um, so if Chris had been a male character, would you use that term? Um, no, because I think traditionally we think of rape. I mean, certainly men get raped, but we think of rape as something that is uniquely and horribly part of of the female experience and things that women have to. But we do. There is, you know, uh, Jeff is a victim. The same thing has happened to him. Now, we haven't seen it. And presumably the same some of the same things have happened to him. I mean, presumably it didn't affect his ability to have children. So there's not that element. Uh, He's. He expresses it in a different way. Like there's an implication that she is on medication uh, for psychological disorders uh, that's not part of his experience. Um, so I love that s- scene, by the way, where she she brings out her medicine. He puts a menu over it, and then she yeah. puts it out in front of the menu. I love the way that scene unfolds. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. But and, and that's I mean and, and yeah, Diggis, that's a very good question. Like the dynamics of what happened would pres- most of it, other than the the damaging. Uh, the inability to, to give birth to children, a lot of it happened to him. But because I was watching this very expressively vulnerable woman, you know, that was part of what came to mind for me is just how horrible it was that this was happening to her. You know, if the movie had been told from his point of view, I, I don't know if I would have drawn the parallels as, as readily. Because one of the things that's that's interesting to me, just from the point of view of the way the thief acts. Uh, once he's controlled her, he goes to sleep. Yeah. And lets her sort of go on, on, not on autopilot, but he's set her in motion. He's not, you know, we, we don't see the physical act of sex going on between the two of them. So it's interesting to me to hear you use the word rape because I think of it, again, it's not a sexual act, but a violent act. But well, and it, I don't. It's so It's so interesting right. that we see her doing that. The stacking of checkers and folding of uh, paper, and and we deliberately see him asleep, with his back turned on his side in the bed. I mean, it's and just such a fascinating image. And I don't think there's any implication that he actually literally raped her. By the way, right, right. I, I think I mean he's clearly the character is called the thief. He clearly does it for money. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's just for me as far as understanding the dynamics in a different in a way different from how most movies show rape upstream color for me uh, fleshed out the implications of what that must be like for a woman in a different way. Um, so, so Dingus, you mentioned that little scene where, where she brought the pills out. I so they're so good together too. It's oh, just one of the things that, and, and that's just one of the scenes. I mean, I don't know how much improv they did, but there were so many scenes where I was like, the, you know, these are two good actors really in touch with each other. That moment seems so natural. It must have been improv. Uh, and there are a couple of those I want to uh, bring up. Did any of those stand out for you He's guys? He's the filmmaker, though, too. So yes, the filmmaker and the cinematographer and the right. distributor <laughs> and the producer and yeah. To that extent, it was improv. It was him <laughs> scripting. No, I I can't imagine I mean, that scene is, and so many of those scenes are like that. But that scene in particular, uh, the way he, his response there when when he says, "Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, that was stupid. I I don't know what I meant to." I don't know what I meant to say there. I mean, he, the way he he makes that response of, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to what you just said. I don't know what I meant to say. And it was so perfectly put together, and that's so good. Where I, where I don't get memories. 
And that's too where I don't get this sense that he, where I felt like he was very generous as an actor and as a writer. There were yeah. times where, with the two of them together, it seems like she totally gets the better of him. It's not like he's writing her dialogue and she's doing it. It just seemed like this authentic relationship between two people that they were expressing where she has the upper hand because he's really into her. And a couple of other moments that come to mind, the pills on the table is one of them. Uh, when they're in, on the subway and she sees someone knitting and he's like, I think that that's a, a former governor and she won a Nobel Prize for mittens. And she says, no, you you got a little too cute. She basically yeah. calls bull on his improv line. She was like, that's not authentic. Uh, and the, one of the rules of improv is you always say yes and. I love and the romance. fact that, that she shuts him down. And there's another moment, too, where they're sitting at the kitchen and they're eating. And uh, she zones out and uh, doesn't want to say what she's thinking. And she takes a bite of the sandwich. And he says, isn't it good? And someone would normally just sort of nod absentmindedly. Yeah. She says, no. Yeah. <laughs> she does not like the sandwich no, that he has given line. her. <laughs> uh, there's another bit where he is convincing her. He's trying to explain to her why he took so long to tell her about his background and the embezzling. Yeah. Uh, and he says to her, I like you so much. And she gives him this just withering, oh, come on, look. Uh, 12. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> um, What's wrong with you? Be a man. But then the dynamics, too, of when, when he's digging in, in the pipes and she's trying to explain to him that it's both a high and a low sound. Yeah. And he just kind of sadly says, no, no. Like, <laughs> I just love that. She's saying it's a, it's a high sound and it's a low. She's saying it's a low sound. He's like, well, this is a high sound. She says, yeah, it's a high and a low sound. And he just kind of sadly says, no. Like, it's like he doesn't understand what she wants or what she's looking for. Uh it's just the fact that the dynamics between them are just so vivid. Um, she knows Thoreau, and he has to read it. He has to well, that's another book. reason, too, that I feel that he's not a victim of the same thief. You know, they find papers for the other people that the, the pig keeper had kept. Um, he does not know Thoreau. His, his picture is not – like, there's no file that we see of him. I think he was a victim of another thief who used a different methodology. Uh, right. So that's why he didn't know the, the Thoreau. Um, but also, he's a businessman, and she's a, a film editor, even though he's the actual film editor. Uh, Kelly Wan, I'm not going to call for signage, though. I, I don't need any uh, signage. He's never, never going to call you for signage. I don't know what that means. That's flirting? Is that how people flirt now? It means that she works at a copy. She works at Kinko's and gives her her business card. That's but what he's signage there. means? Yeah. Well, she's also uh, stamping those little golden uh, those eyelets so that you can hang up a, a plastic sign and the rope won't tear the sign. Like you see her stamping those eyelets into the, yeah. the vinyl or, or whatever. Uh, do, do rivets do rivets count as uh, jewelry? So, Wait, yeah. I love the way Amy Simons reads um, reads all of those lines when she's swimming in the pool when she's coming up to him and he's writing and and she's talking about you know he's saying she's like, fearing they will be lightheaded and he says lightheaded and and she says i'm glad to have drunk water for so long the way she says yeah. those lines i don't Delivery's know what's going perfect. on and that's another one of those things where i really feel like i need to watch this movie a few more times before i understand it most of those and lines so relate to things that the thief had told her by the way about hunger and fatigue and the light from his face and yeah and the, and the and the and the wall or the fence between those two things, right. and right. all of the uh, the way, but the way she says them in that sort of automaton, but not quite that, 
and the way he yeah. is he knows he's gone through this thing but he's then writing this on a pad at the same time i love their relationship and you're so right tom about how generous he is and, and how this is not this does not feel like a vanity project yeah. um that he's so generous to her and she's so good i don't know where she ca- i don't know where she comes from where the hell does she come this is a freaking fantastic performance yeah so she uh so and again if you if you've seen upstream color and you're like wow i really want to see primer you're headed in the wrong direction uh without amy simons i mean i I really like what she oh you know what primer has things to recommend it but it doesn't have anywhere near the impact that upstream color has it's very tedious it's the hump day to wait dingus doesn't like primer no i liked it i just i don't remember it I don't remember it being as compelling as this is. And, it's not and, because – well, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Well, it doesn't have – like I said, it doesn't have the emotional hook. It also – I don't think Primer makes sense. Like I'm pretty sure Primer what? falls apart. I, I got to Time see Primer. Primer has to make sense. It's not uh, like a racer head. Well, they're, they're, part of one of the cool things about Primer is that it doesn't do that whole Doc Brown on a chalkboard thing with time travel. Like it's not really trying to explain itself. It's letting you kind of fill in the blanks. But there are also some weird discursive like little plot cul-de-sacs that I don't know why they're in there. I don't understand how they make sense. Uh, and I think Shane Carruth was just attached to uh, the kind of – It was like a long concept. time ago though, right? Wasn't it like – It was like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a while ago. What's the right direction? That you so the right have? direction is uh, there's a filmmaker named Adam Wingard who is sort of a, an up-and-coming uh, horror filmmaker, uh, I think from Alabama of all places. Uh, and he did a movie with Amy Simitz and um, a fellow named Joe Swanberg who's kind of the weak link but very appropriate for the way he's cast and a, and a, a horror actor who I really, really like named A.J. Bowen. Uh, and the three uh, of them are in a movie called A Horrible Way to Die. Uh, and that's the uh, thing to see if you're like, where did Amy Simons come from? Why is she so good? Uh, because A Horrible Way to Die, again, it lets her sit in the driver's seat. Like it's all about – Adam Wingard knows how good she is. Uh, it's got some great cinematography. Uh, the the movie loves her as an actress. Uh, and it's, it's a in ways very clever horror movie. So uh, I recommend that instead of Primer. Primer's got some things to recommend it, but if you appreciate it upstream color, I think the next thing to say to see is a horrible way to die. Yeah. But that's what primer is. It's like the first coat. Oh no, we missed one of those rats. <laughs> it's a dick's an external parasite. I can't start over. Think about it. It's annoying, isn't it? Kelly, one, does it work if you pour like Coca-Cola over it? I don't know. I've never done it right. I'm told. You're scaring me a little bit. Ah, uh, wait. Yes. Okay. Wait. Oh. So one one thing not eligible is there's uh, Amy Simons is beautiful by the way and there's a there's a scene where after she's cut her hair short and she dresses up to go out to the banquet with him she's got on just these really pretty just simple pearl earrings and I was like oh I could pick that for the three by three yeah but I'm not going to she's um, so uh, she's so good and she looks so great and I love that haircut damn uh, so this three by three uh, is uh, your favorite jewelry in movies why are you going ugh. Did you have I a hard time with this jewelry? One? I found a hard time, and I don't understand jewelry in RL. I don't understand it on women. I'd rather look at skin. 
I don't get why a cold rock that's shiny is somehow special. Kelly one, you're going to make one heck of a catch one day for some lucky girl. <laughs> Look, do you see a ring on this figure, Tom? What about this figure? Oh! Ah, well played! But, I mean, you know, like food you can eat, but there's just nothing to do with a rock. It just weighs down your finger. Like, I just don't get, I don't get bling. Well, I think there's someone named Sauron who would disagree with you. Oh, you know, spoiler! Well, okay, well, you know what, let's, start with, let's start with Dingus. Dingus, uh, what's your number three pick? Because you're introducing the topic for next week. What's your number three pick for jewelry in a movie? And, and you know what, Dingus? Why was this topic a topic? And maybe, Dingus, you could give us a line. Well, the topic was because in After Earth, Will Smith gives uh, Sophia Okanande. That's why. He really? gives her a crazy tangerine-sized rock. After Earth inspired a 3 by 3 and that's what you know. it inspired. Yep. Just want to make sure that's the entire <laughs> basis for this fucking topic. Kelly Wanda, it was either that or your favorite Jaden Smith movies. Jaden Smith's Will Smith's favorite jewelry. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> all right, Dingus, get in here. Your number three pick, maybe you could give us a line from it. First of all, I want to say the name <laughs> Sophie Okanedo. I was close. <laughs> Jeez. How dare you? That's just the first How time. dare you? The one good thing about that crappy movie. All right, so oh, I know you loved it, Kelly. I apologize. Uh, oh. All right, here's a quote from it. Uh, my number three movie. It's never been better. Garbage. All I've been thinking about all week is garbage. I mean, I can't stop thinking about it. The Dark Backwards, where Judd Nelson's a garbage man. <laughs> Minute wow. work with Emilio Estevez. Uh, keep it, keep oh, it coming, boys. No, it's uh, it's from a movie called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And jeez, um, uh, have you guys seen it? Of course. It's uh, I actually it's had the sex this, parts. This was a separate category for me. Is jewelry that reveals infidelity? <laughs> uh, or murder. There's no murder in Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It's not no, murder, know, it's lies. It's always like, oh, they wore the ring, so they're the murder victims. That's why I think I don't like jewelry, because it's always like a MacGuffin. It's like a dumb third, like, oh, it's the evidence bag. So <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> Anne, 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 uh, Anne's sister, played. Uh, Anne is Andy McDowell, and her sister, uh, played by Lauren, Laura Sanjic. <laughs> Keep going. Ellie, yes. Um, is uh, her sister's having sex with her husband and uh, loses her ring, her earring under the bed. But Andy, one of the things I love about this is that Andy McDowell's just this crazy OCD character and cleans the house like nuts and uh, finds the the earring when she's vacuuming under the bed. And, Dingus, oh, go ahead. Who would do a better job of cleaning your house? Andy McDowell in Sex, Lies, and Videotape or Ellen Burstyn in Requiem for a Dream? <sighs> Laura San Giacomo will clean your pipes. Whoa, Kelly Wand! I mean, uh, she's a good actress, too. Is that for me? Remember when he gives her the fern? About his dick. Spoiler alert. But back to jewelry and vacuuming. That's interesting, too. As opposed to her having sex. Anyway, I just love when she finds it and she starts to beat at the earring with the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> what? That's a vacuum cleaner topic, not jewelry. That's it true. Could have been anything. I, I meant to save this for my next topic, which is favorite vacuum cleaner moments, but I went ahead and burned it for this one instead, or blew it, I should say. Uh, 
Uh, all right. Well, Kelly Wan, what is your number three pick then for uh, jewelry in a movie? I like the one in Romancing the Stone because he uses it to guard his scrotum from a, a gun butt, but then he he knocks it down his pant leg and then like kicks it into an alligator's mouth and takes off a dude's hand. So he actually used it the best. So it's also it, kind of the coolest jewel. Is it a jewel or is it jewelry? Well, what's the difference? It's got to be attached it's to it. very the- clear difference. There's jewels that are rocks, and there's uh, which, are, which are protecting rocks, and then there's jewelry, which are things that you can actually put on and wear. Yeah, he was wearing it on his... Okay. And that's how he got throat cancer. Oh, oh God. Really? I know. I, you know what? I apologize. But well, at least you favorite. had it in the chamber. Uh, all right, a little romancing the stone. It's always nice to see. Who directed that, by the way? And does it hold up? Robert Zemeckis. I like Robert Zemeckis did Romancing the Stone. Yeah, and then the second one's Jewel of the Nile, and the in like a dude turns out to be the jewel. So that'll be my number two, maybe. <laughs> I did not know that was a Zemeckis, Zemeckis. movie. All right, yeah, it got Back to the Future made because it was a surprise hit. Oh, good. Okay, Kathleen Turner, right in the wave. That's right. Uh, well, my number. Th- oh. My number three pick is actually another example of an infidelity revealed through a piece of jewelry. And I actually meant to look up specifically what it was. I'm pretty sure it's a necklace. And I I should have looked up what the inscription was on the necklace. But here, I'm going to give you guys a scenario. There's two women. They are in a cave. And a bunch of man-eating creatures are closing in on them to kill them both. One of the women sees a piece of jewelry that the other woman has and then slashes that other woman's leg with a, a climbing axe and leaves her to die by the other uh, oh, by these monsters. Wait. Why, why does she do that? Because she slept with her um, lover or parasite. Because nope, she realized that that Juno, I think Juno was the... Uh, oh, she left and die. Had, had slept with the wife. It was a it was a necklace from her husband that she had given her husband, and her husband gave it to Juno. And when she saw that Juno had it, she was like, "Screw you! I'm getting out of this cave without you." And that's the arc of the movie: is how this one woman becomes tough enough to basically leave the woman who betrayed her, her friend, to die in a cave by blind man-eating bat cave people. She she actually helps kill her. Well, actually, like unfortunately. Well, because in the sequel, it turns out that Juno did I know. Die. Yeah, which I always You said not to see that. I know, you shouldn't have. Did you? And that's why... No, because when I went, oh, wait, she's still alive? That fucks up the whole story arc of the first right. movie. Right. As with Paranormal Activity, you don't have to regard the sequels as even existing. Well, you actually enjoy the first movie. thing is, you do for two reasons, and I'm going to give you those reasons right now. Natalie Mendoza. There you go. Uh, the actress who plays Juno, I think, is so incredibly hot. Oh, uh, I thought you were uh, normal. No, uh, the actress who played Juno, I would see uh, pretty much anything she's in. She was really limber. She did that thing that women do when they do the legs. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> the thing that women do when they do the legs? When they stretch, <laughs> and they like stretch their leg, and it goes all the way up. <laughs> they kick their height. So, Tom, did you even name the movie? It's it's Sanctum, right? Oh, The Descent. How oh, dare you? Okay. It's The Sorry, Descent. The, uh, not Neil Jordan. Is it Neil Marshall? I, I can buy it, guys. <laughs> Neil Jordan. <laughs> it's Neil Marshall. Isn't Neil Marshall the Descent guy? Uh, you guys are no help. Uh, wait. Oh, it's not my movie, so I don't have to know who the director is. 
I remember the character's name. It is Neil Marshall, because Neil Jordan is the vampire stuff, and he's, uh, yeah. So uh, it's The Descent, directed by Neil Marshall, starring Natalie Mendoza and some other chick who ends up killing her because Natalie Mendoza had an affair with her husband. And she knew this. Natalie Mendoza? Well, it's dark, and it's also a horror movie, so it's like you get a boner and then they die. Yeah. It's a weird combination. By the way, that's kind of uh, basically life, Kelly Wong. I know, but can it go the other way? (laughs) Do you know that the poster for The Descent, everybody thinks of it as a skull, but the skull is made up of five, actually six... No, six naked uh, women, like like oh. laying on the ground in the pattern of a skull. If you just look at it and glance at it, it's Four just a skull. Plenty <laughs> if you look more closely, it's six naked women, like, naked. sprawled out. To they're look. not naked in the movie. Um, I'm pretty sure they are. The you know what, maybe they're not. Is, maybe they're not, yeah. The blind bat people are naked. Bizarre. They don't yeah. wear clothes. Yeah. See, they're equal. It's, in a way, it's role reversal, and they're exploited. It just reminds me of, of Acherontia Lachesis. Oh, I don't know what Dingus sorry. Dingus, yeah. I don't I don't see many foreign movies, so I haven't seen that one, yeah. These are uh, Dingus, what is your number two instance of jewelry in a movie? And give us a line from it. Some people call it acronymic sticks. It's the Death's Head Moth. What, really, guys? Oh, it's, it's uh, Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, oh, like Chapacubra. Wait. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> my, number, my number two favorite jewelry in a movie, uh, here's, a, here's a quote from it. It's not easy being a cast iron bitch. It takes discipline and years See, of training. A lot of people easy. don't appreciate that. Easy? So easy, so easy. Uh, Silence of the Lambs too. No, no. This this is a this saves somebody from uh, death. That's right. Oh, wait, then it's um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nope. It's a it's a it's a it's a hearty piece of jewelry uh, that uh, represents. Fantastic. That represents a relationship that is pretty much over. And you know what? It also gives the character a blue hand. That's right. <laughs> Wait, give me a more hint. And okay. like, it's like the descent in that somebody descends. Um, yep. There is a descent. There's a blue Apollo hand. 13? No, wait, that's going up. That, Your that body is- will remember, Kelly Wand. You breathe water for nine months. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I was almost going to pick this. But then I went, oh, it doesn't have a jewel in it. But it is a great... <laughs> Missed it. So, Kelly, want a wedding ring is not an instance of jewelry. Uh, it's a really it's a great dude's wedding it, ring. You know what? I actually took it off the list because it was too good. <laughs> and mine will mine will have to be stupid because that's my brand. <laughs> so take that, Dingus. <laughs> you will. Kelly, then what is your number two pick? Uh, Wait, you took... Dingus has to talk about it. That's okay. part of the rules of the game. It's a game. Uh, it's, it's the abyss. It's Bruce Willis's uh, ridiculous. Bruce Willis. Wow. Bruce uh-huh. Willis in the abyss. I would love to see that. And isn't Bruce Willis in that? <laughs> Dingus jumped ahead to his number one pick, which is obviously Sixth Sense. Oh, no. There's a good Bruce Willis one, and I forgot that. Oh, uh, uh, that is a good one. Anyway, Ed Harris's uh, ridiculous industrial strength wedding ring in the abyss. Um, and I always think about this. I love that because I, I love the way that, that chunky wedding ring looks on his finger and how he throws it into the toilet in a moment of peak. And then he decides, nah, and goes back and gets it. And then it ends up saving his life. I just love yeah. that ring. I, I love that moment. I know Tom is being dismissive of it and that's fine. Wait, but, why? but I, I love, I, I absolutely love that moment. Uh, I'll a, tell you why, Kelly Wand. Okay. No, I'll tell you why. Avatar. That's why. Come on, man. There's no. That's a different kind of jewel. The Abyss was was Cameron's first 
basically descent in a long slide that ended up at Avatar. As the first step now, of Avatar. Yep. No, it's yep. scary when Ed Harris is going down and he's all, I can't type anymore. That's scary. Yeah, and how do you feel about Chris I, Elliott pointing at the water? I like it. <laughs> I bet it's you do. Funny. Anyway, that, that, it's the moment... The that moment and his relationship with that piece of jewelry uh, is extremely interesting to me and has always been. Um, why he sheds it, when he's going to decide to shed it, and how that, how he relates to it, even though it becomes sort of a silly plot point later on, uh, I think is is a really cool little character moment. And uh, you can dismiss it if you want, that's fine. But I really like that he's this uh, deep core driller. Oh, wait, he's not, but whatever he is down there. Uh, and he's got this huge industrial wedding ring that ends up saving his life. I really, really like that. And and so when we were thinking about little bits of jewelry, this is really the first one that occurred to me. I will say this, Dingus. When I was a kid in high school, I thought it was pretty cool. What, Chris Elliott? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only 3x3 three three that the Abyss should ever be on is uh, Best CPR Scenes. Uh, it's just yelling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Kelly, what do you got That's for us? That's not a rock. Yes. Oh. Uh, what do you got for us for your pick? For oh, no, I got to talk again. For, uh, for great uh, uses of jewelry. Or jewelry. So it's got to have a jewel on it, or it's got to yeah. just involve a jewel, basically. It has to at least have a socket where you would put a jewel. Oh, mm. and now we're getting back to sex again. <laughs> See what I did? I brought it around. Uh, my number two choice of jewels re in movies for choice is in Temple of Doom when she accidentally gets the poison antidote, but she wants the jewel. So, um, and ice also is in that scene, which is also that's cool. But it's a jewel, not jewelry. I mean, come on. No, it's Dingus, at least he didn't pick those rocks that burn through the. The Indiana Jones, you know, rucksack or whatever that thing is. I mean, she she puts on a, a ridiculously ornate necklace at one point. All right, that then. <laughs> no, but it's in a bag. That's wearing it if you carry the bag in your pocket. Just like Dingus, Bufo, what uh, do you want to bet that Kelly Wan's number pick is actually Jewel in the Ang Lee movie Ride with the Devil? <laughs> is that the one with Jason Statham? I think it's going to be Jules from... Um, it's Jules Byrne. <laughs> Jules from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's <laughs> Samuel Jackson's Jim character in Pulp Byrne. Fiction. I was thinking of Jules from St. Elmo's Fire, but that's one. Uh, yeah, before my time. <laughs> um, okay, let's... Uh, here's now where I... If Kelly Wan can break this as egregiously as he's broken it... I, I was. I was a little worried if a watch would count as jewelry. Yes, oh, of course. Okay, oh my good, God. good. In what that case, that's why I was mentioning. Okay, go ahead. Oh well, in that case, I am going to pick the watch that uh, the Frenchman and I forget the actor gets in the beginning of Sorcerer, and that he is looking at uh, in his very final moment in Sorcerer, where he finally. <laughs> What's the jewel part? He's got a strap on it. Okay, there are jewels. There are jewels. Uh, uh, Kelly Wan said strap on. <laughs> there are jewels in watches that make them run, I believe. Listen Aren't to there? Dingus. Are you taking are you gonna take that shit <laughs> yourself the three by three? Person? But I love how Sorcerer is a movie about these four characters from very different 
places, and they all come together for this one event, which is driving these trucks full of nitroglycerin through the rainforest. And it's when this one character reminisces about his past that he ends up, spoiler, but it's where he ends up dying at that moment. And it's when he finally pulls that watch out. And I think it's as he's reading the inscription, because it's a watch that was given to him by his wife. And he had to leave the country very suddenly. It's the last time he saw her when she had given him this watch for his birthday. And it's the one thing he carries with him to remind him of his previous life. And just as he's allowing himself to open up about this, he dies. Uh, Sorcerer is this really, really cool existential kind of tough dude adventure movie about dynamite and cool trucks and tough guys and, and how sweaty you get in South America. Um, and uh, and Roy Scheider and... Uh, and it, it's got jewelry in it. So there you go. There's my... That's dumber than anything I've ever said on any <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and B, I... trucks are jewels by that logic. <laughs> I have a lot of exactly. things I could say about watches, but I think I'll save it for another 3 3 about watches. How about that? All right. But I think well, that this totally qualifies as jewelry. I think watches do qualify. Terminator does eye sparkles. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, Dingus, what is your number one pick then? Because I think you and I probably have the same number one pick for our, our favorite. What? No, we absolutely don't. <laughs> Are you serious? Well, then you guys, you guys That's have both. What I'm talking about. Well, you guys have both There's failed obvious. because this whole thing was inspired by screwing up one of our previous three by threes. It was my chance. <laughs> well, I will when it comes around to my number All one right. pick. All right, Dingus, what's your I number have no one? No idea. Wait. Oh, Dingus... I, I stared away from it. This is this is just designed to to mess with the two of you. And here's a quote from it. I'll take punctuality. Midnight Run. No. Uh, Seaman Beaumont. Rushmore. <laughs> yep. Uh, Rushmore. Nobody in Rushmore. Also. Nobody in Rushmore wears jewelry. So uh, Max uh, goes to. Um... Oh no! Really? What do you mean? Oh no! Because Tom got it right. <laughs> oh yeah, he was, was, was JKing, and his JK was RP. Yep. That's right. Yeah. OP. Yeah, this is this is a wonderful moment. Max goes to Herman Bloom, and when they're just reconciling to become friends again, he shows him the two pins that he won as a student, and he can either have punctuality or perfect attendance. And so he says to Herman, you can have punctuality or perfect attendance. And Herman says he'll take punctuality. And that's the pin he takes, and a pin is, of course, jewelry. And I love those little pins, the, the punctuality and perfect attendance pins in Rushmore. So basically, the the scouts, like Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, wear jewelry, you're saying. Is that right, Dingus? And when somebody in the military gets like a bronze heart, yeah, exactly, that's jewelry. Petraeus was so into jewelry. So a flag pin is jewelry. Yeah. Actually, that what I would a glass eye. What about no, a If you don't think a pin is jewelry, I'm sorry. But you don't think a medal is jewelry. You cannot say a medal is jewelry. What about a car? And pins are medals for kids. Uh, what about a bullet that enters your body? Kelly Wan, what is your number one pick for uh, It's dumber anything I just picture. said, which is yep. saying something. Uh, my number one pick is the Pink Panther because it was a really famous Again, jewel. A jewel. Here we go. go ahead. But it's worn by the glass case that surrounds it. I thought, don't they make a ring out of it? And then he, he puts it in his magnifying glass in the last one. I don't know what I'm talking about. Most Jewelry. people think most people, most people think that Inspector Clouseau is the Pink Panther. Yeah, they're dumb. Because exactly. the Pink Panther's in the credits, and so is Clouseau. So he can't be both, you fucking... Uh, well, my number... One's a jewel, and one's an inspector. <laughs> uh, my number one pick is the Ring in the Fountain, of course, that... Uh... 
appears in different forms in all three of the storylines. In one of the forms, it, it's actually a tattoo. So when we did our three-by-three three about tattoos and none of us mentioned uh, Hugh Jackman's ring tattoo for the future <laughs> part, I was like, oh, we're a bunch of idiots. That's an awesome tattoo. But I was thrown because it's the expression of the ring in his future sort of denying material worldly things incarnation where it becomes a tattoo. But in the conquistador phase, it's a ring given to him by Queen Isabella. Uh, and in the modern day phase, it's uh, Tommy and Izzy are married and it's his wedding ring that he loses uh, when he is at work. Um, and they, they occupy very different spaces in each of the three storylines and they're related to the characters, to what eventually happens to them, to their approaches to what's going on in the movie. Uh, so I love the, the wedding ring in uh, The Fountain. The spaceship's kind of jewel-like, huh? Uh, it's more like a snow globe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's a jewel, isn't it? A snow globe is not a jewel, Kelly Wand. What if you just put a paperweight, you staple it to your hand? Paperweights are not jewelry. What about paper? Kelly Wand, Ross Cameron writes to us, and he says, Hi again. As you read out my suggestions from as you read out my suggestions from last week, I thought I would play along again. As I mentioned in my previous email, I'm not really a film guy, says Ross Cameron. So these aren't great, but they're all that I could think of, other than the obvious oh, I'm glad none of us made. I'm surprised Dingus didn't use this for his pick. Ross writes, They're all I could think of other than the obvious Titanic necklace. Uh, you didn't want to bring. You don't want to sub that in for one of your. I, I did not want to mention the heart of the ocean because, again, I think of it as more of a jewel than jewelry. Wait, and it's Avatar's called that? Real. They call it the heart of the ocean. And he knew what it was called. Uh, I could be wrong about it. that. I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be totally wrong. So Ross Cameron picks for number three, Doctor Evil's ring in the Austin Powers films. Wait, one one last thing about the Titanic thing. Did that have any bearing on anything in that fucking movie? Like well, it got up. someone. Kelly Wan, it got someone an Academy Award nomination. I'd say that has bearing on something. Boom. Right. Uh, Ross Cameron's number two pick, the Mockingbird thing, which I think probably is called a Mockingjay, or probably has like some fancy word. The Mockingbird thing that Jennifer Lawrence wears <laughs> at Hunger Games, which is a pin, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it a pin? Uh, yes. Oh, uh, that's supporting. Or when a girl wears a pin, it's a Jew. It's exactly. Jewelry. exactly. But if Obama wears a flag, it's. Uh... It's racist. Ross Cameron's number one pick, the cool necklace made up of two entwined snakes in the never-ending story. Ross, Ross, no, Ross says, I think it was called the Aran, maybe. <laughs> Kelly Wan, do you dispute that? Uh, I oh, believe Caduceus, no, you're talking about the Greek. Right, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, of course I am. The Hippocratic Oath uh, monster. <laughs> the Wan, I'm surprised how, how readily you said that word out loud. Because I've never had, I've read that word, I've never had to say it out loud. Serpents is what doctors <laughs> worship. They burn uh, <laughs> surgical clubs. <laughs> I'm never going to talk again, I promise. Jewelry. Uh, doctors, uh, continue. Rhiannon McLean writes, Let me tell you about the three greatest jewelries in films. Girl. Number three, in Batman Forever... Oh, oh she's already... God. Yeah, she's already... <laughs> <moved>. <laughs> All right. Clearly a girl. <laughs> Check, please. Yeah. Rhiannon McLean writes, number three, in Batman Forever, the Riddler and Two-Face go on a gleeful crime spree together to raise (laughs) funds for the Riddler's science project. Tom, you wrote this, you ghost. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, science project. Okay. Uh, and then she continues, the various robberies are shown in a fun montage of the two of them having a tremendous time as they hold up casinos and jewelry shops. At one point, they're driving along in a van stuffed with cash, and they have both decked themselves out in all the diamond jewelry they've been nicking, oh my tiaras, God. earrings, bracelets. Rhiannon writes, quote, it's pretty adorable. Wait, we watched that? I have no recollection. Oh, I've never seen Batman Forever. We did not watch that. Nobody did. I didn't mean together. I meant cuddling. (laughs) Uh, Rhiannon's number two pick, in Bill and Ted's bogus journey, Bill and Ted proposed to their medieval princess girlfriends with orange plastic rings that look like they came out of Christmas crackers and terrible speeches that they've written themselves. It's completely charming, and the rings are the best engagement rings of all time. I don't think a girl would really say that, though. Chris, she was getting it. What's Christmas crackers? Uh, Yeah, I'm guessing because Rhiannon made a reference to uh, the Joker, or the Riddler and Two-Face nicking stuff, Uh, I'm guessing that Rhiannon might be a subject of the the Mother Queen. And therefore... She uses different words. Wait, but they have the crown jewels over there. So she's a witch. Taking a morning constitutional. Let's see what she's chosen for her number one pick. Rhiannon McLean, number one. (laughs) British people would pick Batman forever and Bill's bogus journey. She continues, it's uh, that the number two pick, Bill and Ted's bogus journey, it's completely charming. The rings are the best engagement of all times, but not the best rings of all time. Here's her number one, because the best ring is the one Emperor Ming has in Flash Gordon. Ah, that's a good one. And it does stuff. Well, she writes, it can do pretty much anything, I think, which obviously makes it the best jewelry. And it rhymes with his name. Ming and Ring? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) No, you are right, Kelly Wan. Oh, yeah, that does work. Ming and jewelry. That's a really cool rig. I like that choice. What did I see recently where Flash Gordon, like where the guy Sam Jones from Flash Gordon was like a joke in the movie? Like one of the characters wanted to meet Sam Jones and he was at a party. I want to meet Sam Jones. Tiffany Dalton's good in that too. Wait. Was it the was it the Mark Wahlberg in the Bear movie? I think it was. Like Mark what? Wahlberg in the Talking Teddy Bear? What was that called? Oh, I didn't see that. The the Ted? Was that called Todd Ted? Todd McFarlane, yeah. Is yeah, that movie so- good? No, no. It was, but, uh, Seth, it was Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> yeah, they're right. The guy Seth who wrote the guy who Spider Man, Venom, Cable. Um, anyway, the whole joke was how Flash Gordon is his favorite movie. So the straw that breaks the camel's back that gets Mila Kunis to break up with him is Ted, the talking teddy bear is at a party, and his favorite movie is Flash Gordon, and Ted is like, dude, you gotta come over to this party. Sam Jones himself is here. And so Mark Wahlberg basically ditches his girlfriend, Mila Kunis, to go to this party. And there's a montage, actually a whole sequence of, of Mark Wahlberg and the bear and the actual Sam Jones, who still looks pretty good, uh, just hanging out, getting trashed at a party. That so. movie rules, and it's the guy who directed Get Carter. My conscience. That? No, the Flash Gordon movie, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. And Croupier. Like, That's how dumb Seth of- MacFarlane is. He sort of had a jealous of the Wahlberg character. Um, Mike Hodges had a bit of a resurgence after. Oh, he did Croupier. Yep, and then he did a movie Uh. which is not very good called. I love the title of it. Uh, I think the title of it is "There'll Be Time for Sleeping When I'm Dead" or something like that. Oh, he did another Clive Owen. That's not true. Tough. Wait, but he made Clive Owen. Croupier. Um, I'd say the game Privateer made Clive Owen. (laughs) 
Did you know who was in that? There's a game called Privateer, and Clive Owen is the lead character. The spaceship game? Yep, in the full motion video in Privateer. I remember the first ship you get's like, all, like, you can't see. It's such a piece of shit ship. It's just got, like, fucking dashboards everywhere. Do you remember that? Uh, I mean, I, Clive Owen, continue. <laughs> yeah, I do not remember much about Privateer. Play it, one. Uh, but no, you're right, Croupier definitely, Mike Hodges definitely, like, began yeah, Clive Gordon. Owen's career. People didn't get Flash Gordon because it came out right after Star Wars. And they didn't get, and also that it's the princess super hot. Was that Cornell? Oh, way better than Carrie Fisher. Yeah, totally. I don't know what's going on. And the Doctor Zarkov, and that tree. The whole movie is good. The Hawkman, Dingus, come on. Yeah, Back Dingus. Up. Yeah, quit Dingus, quit trash talking Flash Gordon. Yeah, fuck you, Dingus. Sick of your convincing. Tom, don't let me interrupt anymore. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about how great Steve Rogers was in that Flash Gordon movie. It's a football player, I'm guessing. Uh, that's a good... I like... He's... Okay. Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. Hope I'm not too late. Maybe some less grandpa movies around this time. Hmm? That's, uh, that's Paul saying that? To which I say, yes, Paul. Thank you. Uh, Paul writes... <laughs> In a grandfatherly tone. <laughs> why, yes, young, why, yes, Tom's young man. I natural. Think uh, I've dropped my yes. pipe, Paul. Here. Uh, Paul writes, that's I watch... Cool. Paul writes, I watch lots of movies from all eras. So, yes, Star Trek and To Catch a Thief, he says. Uh, his number three. Wait a minute. He That's says, he, and he writes, he could use the latter, Catch a Thief, in this 3x3, three three, but he won't. So, the number three, the One Ring of Power and Lord of the Rings movies, Precious Indeed, he says. I like the third dwarf ring more. I'm partial to the second elf ring, Kelly Wand. I like Galadriel's earring. She doesn't wear earrings, it's a trick question. The elf bread. Kelly Wand, Natalie Mendoza played Galadriel in a New Zealand stage production of Lord of the Rings. True fact. Is that him writing? What do you think of that? No, that's me. That's Tom Chick's trivia knowledge about How Natalie do you know Mendoza. know that, eh? Star of, because I once, after seeing The Descent and The Descent 2, I was like, ah. this chick is really hot. I'm going to find all movies that she's been in, and right. I'm going to watch them. And in that I discovered that she actually played Galadriel in a stage production of Lord of the Rings and I was like, man, if I lived in New Zealand I would totally go see that. Did she do that I, thing with her leg and as Galadriel? Who knows? But you know what? I couldn't care less about, at that point, of uh, Natalie Mendoza. Could you imagine going to a stage production of Lord of the Rings? Yeah, what do you see? It would be hilarious. I, guess the ring I mean, would... it would have to be hilarious. Kelly Wan, let's you and me and Dingus do that. She'd be more Kelly like Wan. a dwarf because the cave. I'll, I'll go if they if they promise that Tom Bombadil will be there because I'm not going to go to see stage play without. Well, no, no, we've got it. Kelly Wan. You will be playing Gandalf and Tom Bombadil. Dingus will be playing Liv Tyler and Legolas. Right. Uh, and I'll be no, all the hobbits. I'll be the various hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you be the Hobbit? Hobbit? I mean, dwarves. <laughs> I can not. I'll do that Tim Conway trick where I put shoes on my knees. I've, I got this covered. We're we're golden. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Paul Weimer's Paul Weimer's number two pick, uh, the beautiful jewelry Jodha wears in Jodha Akbar. I don't know what language he's speaking. I'm a little confused. Um, uh, he writes, "A beautiful woman enhanced by beautiful jewelry." You might even say the jewelry makes the woman here. No, I don't know just take what, it off. You can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't fuck the jewel. I don't know what you guys are on. The more you know. I'm just saying. What I did. <laughs> Do you guys know what Jodha Akbar is? That's a character in Star Wait, Wars. that's the movie? Yeah. Jodha Wait, Akbar was the admiral. I, that's said... what I just said, Kelly Wand. Oh. This is a trap. <laughs> I thought that was the answer. <laughs> no. The movie is called... 
There's a character named Jodha played by Ishwarya Rai. So racist. And the movie, I'm doing my best, Kaliwan. And the movie is called Jodha Akbar. So Paul is has segued from grandpa movies to Bollywood. Or yeah. I don't know what's going on here. He's At any rate, and... I think we'll all be able to appreciate this next one. As fans of The Crying Game, I think we'll all enjoy this next one. Oh, no. Paul Weimer's number one, uh, speaking of Neil Jordan, uh, Paul Weimer's number one pick is the raw medallion given to J- Daniel Jackson, played by James Spader, in Stargate, that helps propel the plot once they get to the alien planet of Ab- <laughs> Abydos. <laughs> Inhabitants. I tried to keep a straight face reading the name of the planet, and it didn't quite work. He did a foreign film. I just appreciate that you allowed him to have a medallion for once. Well, yeah, because Dingus wasn't. Dingus was probably going to try to take the medallion. Rage of the Lost Ark, though, is not a medallion. It's the the head of a staff, and there's no way that's jewelry. A medallion you wear around your neck. The fact that someone that Marion was wearing it around her neck does not make it jewelry. It's still the head of a staff. What about when the hanger is a torture device? Not jewelry, Kelly Wand. Oh. Michael what about Hernandez, on his hand? When Michael it- Hernandez writes to us, uh, going to go with the who, what, and where theme. For who, <laughs> I went, for who I went with a necklace worn by Judy Davis when she dances with President-elect Gene Hackman at some sort of major state function in Clint Eastwood's Absolute Power. Oh, God, that movie sucks. Who it's such a horrible movie. It's, I think it was written by William Goldman, and, you, and you're sitting yeah. there going, really, that's what happened? Well, who last wore the necklace in this instance, writes Michael Hernandez, is pretty important, Dingus. Sorry. Didn't write that part, it's I added that part. It's a cat burglar. In case you don't remember, Dingus, I added <laughs> your name, but that's what Paul Michael Hernandez wrote. In case you don't remember, Dingus, the president murders a chick he's banging, covers it up with Judy Davis, and the only one who knows is Clint Eastwood's character. Eastwood freaks him out by sending the necklace to Davis in the guise of a present from Hackman. Dingus. Wait, I do remember all of that, but it, but what it makes me think of is the the little jewelry box that is sent in No Way Out, Dingus, uh, is which absolute. is a better sending gift guilt thing. William Dingus, Goldman. Nice try, Dingus, William Goldman. Direct your dismissive ire at Michael Hernandez. That was uh-huh. Hackman, too. Yeah, Hackman. He, Hackman always kills his lovers when he's president. <laughs> he also yeah. punches hobos. That's a true story. He uh, he got in a in an altercation with a homeless man who insulted his wife uh, about a year ago. In case you didn't know that about him, it's true. Scroll. Well, it's pretty awesome. Buzz Aldrin punched somebody in the nose. Dean ha- uh, Gene Hackman can do it too. All right, Michael Hernandez. So that was his who for what? Michael Hernandez writes, "I'm going with what was inside Sarah Michelle Geller's cross jewelry in Cruel <laughs> Intentions." Oh my God! Does anyone know? It sounds yeah. saucy. Kelly uh, Wan? Of uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Nope. It was drugs. And then Michael Hernandez writes with an exclamation point, busted. <laughs> I like you. Uh, and for where, haha, I like Michael Hernandez has taken one that wasn't good enough for, uh, I think, Ross Cameron. For where, Michael Hernandez writes, and for where, I'm going with the necklace Kate Winslet wore in Titanic. Yes, the necklace oh, is at God. the bottom of the sea inside the Titanic, but where it was before was way more important to me when I first saw the movie. Even to this day, unfortunately, and that is above her boobies. Sorry, Michael Hernandez writes, went for the cheap laugh. <laughs> The way they went for the boobies. Uh, you know what? That as far as where there are worse places you could be than on uh, Kate Winslet's cleavage. But then, what do you need the tools for? That's what I don't get. It's like they're right there. 
Kelly like, Wand, it's like, do you like, like Kelly Wand? Do you like sprinkles on your ice cream? I have the ice cream. I don't need the sprinkles. <laughs> Michael Hernandez writes, and Michael, thank you very much for sending that in. He writes, please be kind. This was my first time. This was awesome, Michael. Send us more thoughts. He writes, hopefully you are all slapstick goofy when you read this. This is meant to be kind of humorous. Uh, Michael did actually get me to say the word boobies, which I wouldn't normally do. You got us, Michael. We are slapstick goofy at this point. Dan Winningham Oops. writes, hey, guys. D. Wynn from QT3 Forums here. When I heard Tom reveal this week's 3x3 topic of favorite jewelry, one scene immediately leapt to mind from my childhood watching early 80s cable. And I love this pick, Dan. I think Kelly Wand will get it, and Dingus will feel left out as usual. (laughs) Dan's pick is in The Beastmaster, one of the characters, the young prince, obtains a large and gaudy ring. Unbeknownst to him, this ring is a spying device used by the evil Max, played by Rip Torn. The front of the ring opens to show a human eye that observes the rebels' plans against Max. At one point, warrior monk Seth, played by John Amos, notices the eye spying on them and grabs a burning stick from the fire and pokes the eye in the ring, blinding the witch who casts the spell. (laughs) Eyes are skull jewelry, huh? <laughs> um, I Tony predict Roberts. a slight chance that oh, oh that is nice. But no, he predicts a slight chance that Tom scoops this pick because of Don Coscarelli, and a greater chance that Kelly does because of naked Tanya Roberts. Kelly, one, what do you say yeah. to that? What do you say to naked? Yeah. Tom? Well, in her time, did you ever see that one where puppets attack her? <laughs> I like how you had to how you had to specify that only at certain periods of history would she well, marry. I'm not familiar with her '70s show era. <laughs> And when she went blonde, she was nude more often, but somehow something was lost. Somehow mm. it was brunette. Did you see that one where puppets attack her, like that horror movie? No, oh. and I actually, I don't think she made that much of it. I more remember from Beastmaster. Is that the one where Mark Singer had the ferrets? Yeah. Yeah, I remember the ferrets more than anything else. I don't, no. think, I was, I don't think I was old it's enough good. to really appreciate Tanya Roberts. Oh, what? I, was the, I was, watch it. I had had puberty, I guess. I was more into the ferrets. Uh, and uh, Dan Winningham, who... Uh, Signs his name, Seaman Beaumont. So that's for you, Dingus. Thank you so much. Uh, Finally, uh, Nick writes to us, Hi, guys. My list turned into a top three scenes involving wedding rings list. Uh, Number three. Oh, and I love this one. So I've never been married. This scene makes me wish I was married so I could do this at some point if I was ever lucky enough. But uh, his number three pick, Die Hard 2. After John McClane takes out the first few bad guys at the airport, he has to commandeer a fax machine. O90s, writes Nick, at the ticket desk to send some mugshots back to Al Powell in Los Angeles. When he's done, the pretty female ticket agent asks him out for a drink. McClane holds up his wedding ring, I love this gesture, and uses his thumb to wiggle it at her. Uh, And by the way, uh, Nick singles this out as a great non-faked physical gesture. And do you know what line he says? Well, and Nick is not done. He then writes, let's try to forget the line he uses in the scene is, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Uh, Dingus, oh. I predict you'll like this one. Uh, Nick's number two pick is Apollo 13. Right before the uh, space shuttle takes off, Jim yeah, Lowell's wife, Marilyn. One. It's a very good one. Nicely done. So Jim Lowell's wife, Marilyn, is taking a shower. We, the audience, already know what's going to happen. So it's a great bit of dramatic tension when her engagement ring slips off and disappears down the drain. Bad omen time. This sort of scene would be too on the nose to work in any other movie, but it's apparently a true story, according to Lowell's book. 
And then finally, also for Dingus, this is right up his alley, Nick's number one pick, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Huh. you got to pick only, one ring out of all of them. Not only is Hugh Grant late for the wedding, at which he is the best man, but he has forgotten the rings. He passes word to his friends in the audience, none of whom have replacements, except for the wacky Scarlet, who lends what turns out to be, to the minister's dismay, a bright-colored heart for the bride and a silver skull for the groom. Cheers. You're late for your funerals. Good news. <laughs> I think he was late for the wedding, though. Oh. Uh, runners up from you, gentlemen. Oh. Um. Uh, Dingus, what's my runner-up? <laughs> I don't have any runners-up. And what about the uh, galaxy and Men in Black that the cat wears? Or is it a universe? That's like a marble. That's I like that, tool. actually. I do like that one. I love the idea of that one, Kelly Wan. I remember I've, it looked... Yeah, and that's kind of like the ultimate jewel, because it's got right. a bazillion civilizations. I mean, two bazillion. Oh, that's a very good pick. You should replace that. Uh, why don't you replace your pink That's pants a good Will Smith movie. See, he's really good in that. Will Smith's really funny in the first one. Nobody's... Nobody... Yeah, nobody, like, dislikes Will Smith. It's just like... They just hate his kid <laughs> that he named after his wife. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, what is next week's 3x3? Three three? What do you got for us? Uh, babysitters. All right. I love it. All right, so Dingus and I are going to pick the same movie, at least, or one of us is going to blink and not pick it. Um, <laughs> that's wait. it. That's all I'm saying, babysitters. All right. <sighs> well, there's what, yeah. Wait, Tom, what was your, that you said, oh, we're going to pick the same number one. I, th- I thought Dingus would pick the ring in the fountain, just because I think we had talked about oh. screwing up and, and forgetting the tattoo. Yeah, the, that tattoo moment is so great, and who? And I, I apologize for not remembering who introduced that in the thread, but it's such, such a good pick. But yeah. yeah. All right. So, what do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Um, you <laughs> didn't put enough stock in his poor memory. Did uh, you? Well, I, I don't. I, you know, anybody who doesn't appreciate the acting talent of Dwayne Johnson. Oh, I just don't know. Uh, Sarah Butterworth told me that she has to be the subject of the last candidate, and she found that topic so tedious, but she got Harrison Ford mixed up with Mel Gibson. <laughs> I rest my case. No, 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 I think Sarah Butterworth, uh, who is a fan of the show, uh, high she used to be. I think she, well, I think she uh, is is right. I think she has proved my case. Nobody is ever going to confuse The Rock with Mel Gibson. Except. Wait. I, I, right. bet, I bet that Harrison Ford is routinely mistaken for Barry Bostwick. <laughs> just Take saying. that, Butterworth. <laughs> Barry uh, next Bostworth. week, so uh, join us for our 3x3 three three of uh, Babysitters. Dingus, I'm liking this topic. Uh, I'm sitting here it. thinking about it. So many great babysitters I've had over the years. No, not your. Kelly, oh, no, no, Kelly Wan. Not your personal babysitters. <laughs> what? These are, no, these are babysitters from movies. Uh, that I watched with babysitters? <laughs> no, no, no. That has to be a, the character in the movie is a babysitter, you see. They play a babysitter. Uh, I could do Actress. a joke, but it's such a spoiler, and it's going to be everybody's number one. Well, you know what? Save it for next week. I don't want to. Well, you must. <laughs> but, and you know what? We're going to have a lot of time. So next week, we're seeing a movie. We're seeing oh, God. A Zack Snyder joint. It is two hours and 23 minutes long, and I'm going to go on record. I've seen no trailers. I know nothing about it other than I'm really psyched that uh, Michael Shannon is playing the villain. But I'm going to go on record right now as predicting it will be one of the worst movies we see all summer. 
and I don't have a lot. I'm just mainly thinking what the subject the material, the director. Uh, that's that's just my guess. Subject material. Superman. Who cares? What about the? You know what? (laughs) Well, just like Superman movies usually aren't good. Well, that I I, thank you. So you you understand why I'm saying that? But we keep. But everyone keeps looking forward to them. Like, oh man, a new Superman movie! Like it's this big thing. But the last one. Who's looking? Not me. When you say everyone, every everyone who listens to this podcast, which is probably only Starbucks. By the way, Kelly Wand, can I give you some really really bad news about this summer? Absolutely not. <laughs> Dingus is quoting Big Trouble in Little China. That's always nice to hear. <laughs> Kelly Wan, this is the most depressing yeah. thing I've found out about this summer season. I mean, there are a few depressing things this summer, like the weekend where the only thing opening is that Lone Ranger movie. Like, that's kind of depressing. Uh, yeah, you know, but this is the most depressing thing I've heard all summer. Um, World War Z is rated PG-13. Oh, no. What? <laughs> I know. They should have invented a Z rating for it. It was like the sickest movie I can't freaking ever. believe that. Uh, zombie P- I P- know. Yep. zombie movie. So no blood. Maybe, maybe a few glimpses of blood very quickly. No children will die. There oh will be no gore. Yeah, I knew that part. And no one will smoke. Oh, so you'll like it. <laughs> and there will be one carefully placed F word. That's right. Yeah, Brad Pitt will probably get the the single F bomb at a key moment in the movie Ooh, when the he dispatches the, the zombie king or whatever. Yeah. Really, Brad Pitt? Really? You maybe wait that long for the. I think what it is is it's just such a big budget movie that the studio's not going to let it be an R. Which is, I just like for hate. a horror movie? I know, I know. Well, these days you can do Dark Skies PG-13, so hey, why not World War Z? I mean, I think it's a fundamental misreading of zombie mythology, I, and it, I'm seriously bummed out about it. It makes me just not want to... I, I just have lost... My interest in the movie plummeted upon hearing that. So, But I still think... Warm, warm Bodies was PG-13. Ex- uh, thank you, Dingus. Exactly. Oh, see, Dingus is... See, he's just making... He's teasing me. He's making me feel even more bummed. Thanks, Dingus. You're welcome. Um, After Earth was PG-13. See? Uh, So anyway, next week, that's my prediction, is that even worse than however bad World War Z will be, I think Superman, or Man of Steel, is going to be the worst thing we see all summer. I'm just going to go on record. It's, It's just a gut feeling... I would love to be wrong, but I, I, if we might come back next week, and I'll be saying I told you guys so. So do you think it'll be better or worse than Watchmen? I like Watchmen. What's the matter with you? I know. Sorry. You know what, Dingus? We'll be getting into this next week, won't we? Yes, we will. All right. All right, so uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Moltreski, I think it is. Uh, it's Christian Moroski, actually. And Kelly Wand. And we will see everyone here next week. <laughs> Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. And on this farm there was a chick. The uh, Dingus, can you read uh, Kelly's messages? With a little girl here and a little girl <laughs> Yes, uh, he thinks there should be a Z rating for all movies from here on out and that it should relate to boobies. Uh, he also wrote, all I got dropped, make f- E. Uh. And you're back. Thanks for interrupting the music, Kelly Wan. You just cut off Frank Sinatra. Nice work. Oh, okay. Wait, I did still? Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> da 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 da. Kelly the Wallace crumbled. <laughs>